0: Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jackstraw Writers Program.
1: This drought year, the cows went out to forage every day, And the calves stayed in the barn, their cries bringing the
0: cows back at evening. This program features the work of 2016 writer Ruby Hanson-Murray. Curator Karen Finneyfrock sat down with her for an interview. So your project for Jack Straw is a novel. Tell me about it.
1: Sure. My novel is called The Heart Stays People, and the heartstays people were a group of osages in our early history whose village was flooded some of the people went up onto a hillside became the big hill people some went to an area where there was a forest and they were the upland forest people and the heartstays people stayed close to that village site and that speaks to me of my protagonist, Maria's decisions about how she's going to live her life when it's time to move on. She's an Osage girl who was taken from the tribe by Cherokee early 1820s. And um, she thought she was adopted, but she was sold and then ultimately ended up at a mission thinking that she would go home. And in that time, they had some prisoner exchanges or captive exchanges or whatever you would call them, that the Cherokees had taken and the Osage, but she wasn't part of that exchange. But that sort of hung over her growing up, you know, thinking that she might go home and kind of wondering where the Osage were, when were they coming for her, where was her family, at the same time that she was living with the Cherokee children at a mission school. So it's the story in her 16th year of of what's happening as more tribes are moving into that area, her own tribe is leaving, and this whole uncertainty around her coincides with her thoughts about marriage or life or what she'll do next. Do you remember how
0: and when you first became interested in Maria's story or first decided you wanted to write about it?
1: I remember being at a uh, residency with friends and reading uh, something I'd written after I'd been down in Oklahoma and talked to my, my relatives. And this other writer said, you have to tell the story. So it felt like a permission or an injunction that I appreciated.
0: You mentioned that performance aspects of your work might include Osage songs, Christian Cherokee language hymns, and Osage Cherokee French and English words. I'm wondering, will all of those things show up in your novel as well?
1: I do use Osage words and Cherokee words and songs, indeed. Yeah.
0: And are those things you grew up knowing, or are those things you went back to research over the course of writing
1: the book? I did not have Osage language as a child. I mean, we had first language speakers, but not too many, so there's quite a language uh, revitalization effort, which I've been part of, which is fun. So, no, um, I have been learning, and then working to include those in an appropriate way because again we're talking about telling the story and maria i think was thinking in osage you know had that dual you know bilingual kind of background and so it's an attempt to be faithful to her suggested in the text and also be reasonable to readers you know about how we can enter into a text fairly seamlessly and then adding music is difficult but fun you know i mean the stories and the lyrics in both Osage or those Christian hymns are really um, rich and resonant. And where it can work in the text is great. It's, I feel like it's a challenge, you know, to look for places that might work.
0: You're writing a fictional story which is set within a true history. hmm How much are you willing to invent, and how true do you feel you need to stay to the facts of what occurred?
1: That's a great question. I feel compelled to get the setting right and to be believable, to do the best I can to understand how people saw the world at that time and to convey what their decisions might have been. I also feel Compelled to write a strong narrative which frees itself from real people and what might have happened or what did happen for sure. I really do feel there are two separate dynamics there, and I'm attached to making the, the novel the best it can be, basically. And I feel like I don't know all of what happened. I mean I make assumptions about what it was like in 1820s, but I feel it's fairly presumptuous to assume that I can step into someone's viewpoint at that time, native or even the missionary folks. So I'm, I'm really aware of that and aware that this is a whole sort of enterprise that I'm entering and that readers also then will um, step into with that understanding that it's a modern telling of this earlier story.
0: Now we'll hear a selection from Ruby's live reading.
1: Memory, Ishoba Jia, Don't Tell Lies, this is epigraph, So thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord, Deuteronomy 21.9. The summer we moved, the heat didn't break, no thunderstorms, no rain fell. It grew hotter, drying the oats in the field, the corn stunted in dry ground. The windows in the dining hall were closed against swarms of stinging flies so that my legs slid wet along the long skirt and my sleeves stuck to my arms. I walked from the kitchen carrying lukewarm gruel, slack in serving bowls, back and forth to each table to the old ones, the tall people, to let us pray, and his wife. I crossed the open floor, my footsteps loud. School would reopen in the fall, but for now I was alone. I finished serving and sat with my teacher at the girls' table. She said, it's too hot to breathe. She pulled a scarf around her head like it was winter. There was a little butter on the cereal and a glob of molasses, but no side meat, and I was hungry. Ellen waved her hand near her face. The flies were inside, too, but not as many as outside, where they lay in dark patches on the horses, fluttered in clouds around our faces. We breathed them in and coughed to get rid of them. After breakfast, the man the Eastern Cherokee called the Wind stood and called us to pray. The family called him Brother Amos. He was red-faced, stuffed in the brown suit as always, his hair wet into curls at his temples. My teacher sighed as her knees landed on the wooden floor. I was curled over the bench, hiding my face behind clasped hands. You've called us to face hardship. His words buzzed around us, flowed toward the ceiling and beyond, while I imagined my brother walking with my father down the coolies that cut the prairie, buffalo bull boats spinning in circles as we played. My teacher shifted and resettled the scarf on her neck. She'd become thin during the months after we packed the school to move west. When we traveled from the old mission, she sat on the deck of the steamboat, staring at trees on the bank. "'Deliver us from evil,' Amos said. I wanted to be delivered from his prayers, from kneeling and waiting. When I carried plates to the kitchen, Cook pointed a finger at me. "'You need to get those cows out.' I said, "'The older boys work in the barn.'" That new man doesn't know what he's doing. She chopped a withered turnip. We won't have milk. This drought year, the cows went out to forage every day, and the calves stayed in the barn, their cries bringing the cows back at evening. Outside, I tugged my sleeves down to my wrists and held the apron over my mouth while I ran to the big cabin for Josiah. We went to the Hitchcocks for Isaac and Daniel and hurried toward the long barn. Behind it the land angled down to woods that gave way to a wall of cane. I watched the fence line for the openings of game trails that men followed. The new mission was miles from the Nishootse and the steamboat landing. People were moving back and forth. Choctaw men got money to come and see their new land. When we first came to the cluster of ragged buildings on the flat bench along the Osage Trace, Cook said in her quiet voice, men sleep in the barn, you be careful, everybody's on this road. On the steamboat that brought us upriver, white men stared with hard eyes. One had stepped toward me, walking with Josiah in the narrow passway. What are you looking at? He'd sent tobacco juice splattering me. Some travelers took the road between the mission and the ridge, but more skirted it and walked hidden. We hurried through the heat to the barn. Josiah said, it's not hard. He talked like his father, even though I was older. We'll send the cows out into the yard. You stand in the door and keep them from coming back. If they turn, just wave your arms. The red one is the mean one. She will kick. We should leave them inside, I said. With the cows gone, the calves bawled all day. Their cries crawling into your bones. But we didn't have enough feed, and the flies tormented them. In the barnyard, black flies covered us. I bunched my skirt into the waistband of my apron as six skinny animals came from the barn. They looked toward the woods, then a white one walked toward the open gate, the red one following. I stood with my back to the barn, wiping flies from my eyes. Daniel and Isaac set a wooden rail across the opening, then a second. A bleated ma came from inside the barn's darkness. The lead cow stopped and turned, the curved horns making her seem larger than she was. I waved, but she didn't move on. Daniel stepped close to the red cow. It was so hot you could almost see the air between us. He reached forward with a stick and connected with a thin hip. She lurched. The white cow bellowed toward the barn. The younger boys were wrestling a calf away from the rails. Beyond the barn, a Cherokee man rode toward us on the path. He was heavy with rounded shoulders and wore a yellow calico shirt. It was his motion on the horse walking forward, the slow back and forth that sent me ducking to the far side of the red cow, my hands on her back. I felt my back against a Cherokee's broad belly as we rode those many miles across swampy ground. He stopped by the corral, a scarf across his face against the flies. See yo, he called. I thought about the times I'd seen a white man with a faded red beard and been sure it was the one who took me from Black Fox's cabin, until the man spoke or moved, and I realized it was someone else. I looked at this Cherokee's round head, imagined the jowl I had studied those nights we traveled, from the river where we cut ruck salt, away from the place where the Cherokee attacked our camp, away from my relatives' bodies. No, Isaac yelled from inside the barn. A calf climbed over the bottom rail and sprinted for the white cow, its face gleaming in the sun. The Cherokee laughed, his eyes on the calf budding the udder. Where is Amos Webster? When he spoke, I heard black fox as clearly as I had the year I lived with him. The big hand on his thigh became a fist holding a club that swung down on my aunt again and again. My belly cramped and I sank lower behind the cow. The preacher, the man asked. Josiah pointed to the two-story cabin and Black Fox walked on, the horse's tail flicking without stopping. I felt the flies on my face, watched Amos come quickly from his cabin, arms extended to embrace the man. The cows started for the gate and the boy shouted, Maria, and the animals began to run, the calf beside them with its tail held high. The brush crackled as they disappeared into the wood. Isaac said, we'll never get them back. I stood in the barnyard, bare feet in muck and straw, the calves calling. The door of Amos's cabin closed with the Cherokee inside. Josiah looked toward the woods. We're going to get in trouble. Josiah had his father's blue eyes, the worried frown. I ducked through the cedar railing and started for our cabin. Where are you going? Josiah shouted. I hunched forward on the dirt path that led away from the Amos' big house and the dining room toward the far side of the circle and the smaller cabins. This is your fault, he called. I took my knife from my locker and stood by the window, looking into the shade on the porch of Amos' cabin. I tried to remember the trail to the camps on the Neosho, closed my eyes, trying to picture the ridge where we turn north toward home.
0: Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2016 curator of this program is Karen Finneyfrock, this episode of Sound Pages was produced by Daniel Gunther and Levi Fuller. Recording engineers are Steve Dettori, Daniel Gunther, Mo Preventure, and Tom Stiles. Narrator is Alyssa Keane, And executive director of Jack Straw Cultural Center is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by the Seattle Jazz Composers Ensemble. Produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.